All right. Well, hey, as mentioned, we are in a series called Kingdom Culture, and we're looking at these different attributes and examining the difference of what it means to be a believer versus a disciple. There's a lot of people that would say, well, I guess I believe that there is a God, that Jesus does stuff, and does, but we want to say there's a difference between being a believer and a disciple, so what we're doing is we're unpacking some of these attributes and we're going to be looking at another characteristic of that today of what does a disciple look like. And, uh, and the disciple would be this. If you were to ask, well, what's that attribute going to be today? That attribute is going to be this, is a disciple surrenders to the authority of God's word. A disciple surrenders to the authority of God's word. So I began to think about this and I thought back to the day of when I became a Christian and there was a time when I grew up in the Lutheran church. I was confirmed at 13. Um, We would go to the Lutheran church a couple times a year. And then when I got confirmed, I didn't really go back, but I had this Bible that was given to me at confirmation that was just kind of sitting there and it was collecting dust and it was sitting on a shelf. And this Bible was sitting there and eventually it moved from from the moment I got confirmed um, on the shelf of my room to eventually got moved to my closet to eventually when I went to college when I still wasn't a, I would say I wasn't a Christian, I wasn't a disciple then. I kind of had an idea of God, but I wasn't really a a, a Christian, a disciple, a saved Christian at that time. Um, And so that Bible eventually got packed away and eventually got given away and I've never seen it again. And so I went through a lot of my life without having the Bible there, except when I went to church and it was declared in the Lutheran church I went to. But I mean, at that time, I was just like, do I believe this? Is this really what it is? And so when I became a Christian at 22, I walked into a church like this. I gave my heart to Christ, surrendered my heart to God and, and put myself on, uh, down in the front and God transformed my life. And they said, after you become a Christian, I said, what do I do? They said, well, you got to find community. If you love this church, stick with us. Let's go for it, which I did. Um, they said, you got to have good community and relationships. And they said, um, come on Sunday mornings. We can get that worship and that time together. We can experience the worship and the presence of God. And they said, the third thing you do is you got to read your Bible. And I was like, okay. So I ended up going to a, uh, I went to the Barnes and Noble because um, I didn't know Christian bookstores existed, if you can believe that. Um, and I ended up going to Barnes and Noble, found a Bible, ripped the plastic off and just started reading it. And it became something that, I could not get away from. And I began to start reading this Bible and I got highlighted and started highlighting it. And when I was going to school, um, when I, was, when I became a Christian, I started going to the university and I was finishing up my undergrad at St. Cloud State University where I got my business degree. And then I went to Bible school. And only all of the, during that time, I was waiting tables, going to school. Um, eventually, I met Heidi during that same year. We boyfriend-girlfriend life. So we did that. And it was this whole time of, of, of taking that moment where I found that time where I could get in my Bible and I just started reading. And I was just, and it was kind of like, you know, like Bible roulette. Most of the time you're just like, you open it up and you're like, and you're like, oh, cool. That's a great verse. Love it. You know what I mean? That's great. Let's see what God's going to go tomorrow. You know what I mean? Like snake eyes. Here we go. You know, and I was just reading just kind of randomly going forward. And I realized that 
the word of God is, is there's so much authority to it. There's so much severity to it. There's so much, it, there's, it's such a necessity for life that I began to think more critically and began to stretch. Well, what does Genesis really mean? Why, you know, why, why is Leviticus in there? It's like, dear God, come back now and save me through Leviticus. You know what I'm saying? Like, come back, Jesus. Like, let us, save us all from this. But it's because I don't get it. I didn't get it at the time. And then I went into, you know, you're reading through Kings. That's cool. And then, you know, you, you start going, you're getting the New Testament with Jesus and you're starting to see stuff which is great. And I tried to do the read the Bible from front to back, which of course the Bible is chronologically out of order. So you're jumping around times if you do front to back. So that became confusing. And I just was looking at saying, well, what do I do? So I just started, started digging into chapters and started reading into chapters. And I started, I really started journaling and writing down, God, what's, what does this mean? And soap is something, if you go to our app, you'll find it there. It's scripture, observation, application, prayer. Every day we give two chapters of the Bible that we read as a church and we can all read it together. You just tap the app and it's there. And we look for that scripture. We find what is God, what's, what are we observing? How does it apply to our life? And then we just pray it through or write out the prayer. And that became something that became important for me. And I just never stopped doing it. And that's something I hope you guys would get in that same practice of doing that day, doing that stuff every day and just getting the word of God and going for it. Because it's the scriptures of God, the, the Bible, the scriptures, they really help define us and help give clarity and help us understand like, how does faith work? How does faith work as a follower of God? And how does faith work as, as a disciple? Because life isn't always easy. Life isn't always hard. And we're trying to figure out how do things connect? How do things work? How do think, how does our life connect to God and connect to this scenario? You know, and, um, and I'm the kind of guy, if you ever know, if you've been around, my wife knows this is whenever I take a moment to, if I get like a new DVD player or Apple TV or something like that, and an ex Magnus just got an Xbox over Christmas. And I look at this and I'm just like, Oh, it's great. You just plug it in here. And I'm kind of trying to grope my way, feel my way through. I'm like, this looks like this works, you know, auxiliary one. And I'm trying to do it. And it just, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to see and trying to feel out how this connects. Well, this seems like this should go here. And I remember I tried it at Christmas and it didn't work. And I was like, oh, I go, Magnus was like, dad. And I go, son, I got this. Your father has this son. So I keep going through it. I'm trying to work it. And I'm just like, this should work. Like I'm, I'm trying to connect this to this. And he goes, dad. And I go, son, your father's working back off. This Xbox will work for you. I worked hard for this $400 game system. I will make it connect. And he goes, why don't you just look at the instruction book? And I go, instruction book, son, I don't need the instruction book. I grew up on Atari. I grew up, I know exactly how this works. Okay. This is, and I'm like, wait, you know, and I'm trying to figure this out. And I realized, you know what? And suddenly I go, son, he goes, can you help me? And he's like holding this thing. You need to plug this in dad. It says right here in the instruction booklet. And I was like, oh, so you read the instructions? And he goes, yeah, it says right here in this easy one, two, three step instruction booklet. I was like, I was like, okay, that's great. Why don't you just take over? You're in charge of the house now. I'm just going to take over your room. I'm sleeping till noon every day. It's fine. I don't need to be a father anymore. Um, and it's so uh, suddenly we just it started connecting, started working. And, and I think the Bible 
I think a lot of times when we don't have the Bible, we kind of grope through life just trying to connect stuff, trying to see how things fit together. It's like, I don't need an instruction booklet. I can just feel this out. I'm kind of feeling this out. I'm trying to figure it out with my own sense, my own life experience, my own skills, all this stuff. When really there's this instruction booklet, you know, there's this, the, classic, the classic acronym, uh, Bible is basic instructions before leaving earth. It's like you've got this instruction booklet that helps you connect how this this fits with this, how this connects to that, and how this plugs into this, this is how life functions. This is how life works. You know what I'm saying? And even, in the, even recently, Heidi and I were at, we were at a, a funeral where there was an incredible woman of 37 years, a pastor's wife that we went to Bible school with. And, and she was an incredible, and they planted a church in Northfield. And they were this incredible husband and wife team. And, and they were, they're killing it in, in Northfield. And people are coming to Christ. And she gets cancer. And, we, and everyone was praying. And she died. And everyone's like, why would God take someone like this? this incredible woman at 37 years old, you know? And, and all of us have those stories of why. I mean, we've lost people in our own community who've passed. And you're like, you know, and, and you're hearing the stories and they were saying, God, we will give you a story. We will give you a testimony. We will give you amazing stories. Just heal her. And they never, and God didn't heal her on this earth, but healed her in heaven. And we're at the funeral and we were, we were trying to process this of like, God, how does this connect? How does this make sense? I, this doesn't even seem. And at the end of the service, there was a man and he just said, hey, um, you know what I mean? You look at this husband and his five kids. She left behind five kids, 13 and under. And they're talking about it. And all of a sudden he stands up and he, he provides an opportunity and says, hey, if you see the strength and the fearlessness in this woman who passed and the strength and the hope that's found in this husband, and you can't deny that God's real. And he says, and if you want to see what God can do with your life. And at that moment, they they did a they asked people to raise their hands if they want to know Christ. There were 1,700 people in the attendance of this funeral. Hundreds of people came to Christ because of that moment. And Heidi and I looked at each other and we were like crying at the, at the restaurant. We, Heidi and I went out afterwards just kind of reflecting. And we says, wow, one lost life that allowed hundreds to get saved, to find Christ. Is that, who would have thought that maybe that's the perspective God had that we didn't have? And now we know. And now it makes sense maybe a little bit more. I can see how now that connects to this and this connected to that, to where I see, God, what you were doing there. You see what I'm saying? And so scripture helps us with that. They help us to be able to do that. They, they, they help us. So I, here's a couple of questions to differentiate if you're a disciple or believer, okay? Um, here's some questions. Do you believe the Bible is the true word of God? Another question. Do you want the Bible to be the standard of truth for how you live your life? Or is there another standard that's worthy of your allegiance? How will you respond when your goals and desires conflict with that of what God's word says? And do you really believe that living by the word of God will give you a richer, deeper, more meaningful life than ignoring it? How do you answer those questions? Because that will determine if you're a believer or if you really are a disciple. So you have to ask the question, what makes this Bible so special? Why, how did this Bible come into play? Why do I need to grip this Bible and hold on to it? And what makes it so unique? Well, first, the Bible has been read by more people and translated into more languages in the history of the world than any other book. It was written by 40 different authors over 1,500 years, and the continuity stays crystal clear. 
Can you imagine writing a book through 40 different, uh, multiple different authors over the course of 1,500 years and have it all continue to make sense and line up? That's miraculous in and of itself. Another way, how do you trust the Bible? Can the Bible be trusted? Another evidence of that is archaeology. If you go outside of the Bible itself, archaeology confirms there was a King David. There is a city of Jericho that was found. Jesus was born and died. There's a Nazareth. There's a Jerusalem. There is an inscription they found that, that there was a Pontius Pilate that existed. The, the Siloam Pool in Jesus was found in 2004, the Pool of Siloam, where the guy was healed. There is this, there, what St. Peter's house was found more than 25 years ago. Archaeologists discovered it. The Bible can be trusted because not only of its authorship, but because of the strength of the archaeology that surrounds it. Another reason to why is that the precision of why it was, it was coined. If there was, when they would look, when they, the scribes would write down the Bible, they would write down word for word, and people would go back and they would keep reading it, and they would keep going over it to make sure it all lined up. They just, Huddy and I were in living in D.C. I looked at the Dead Sea Scrolls. The Dead Sea Scrolls, which I saw in D.C. that I had the chance to look at myself, was written before the New Testament. It was written in 100 B.C. before the New Testament was even written. And it was prophesying and declaring all the things that would happen 100 years before Jesus was born. The Dead Sea Scrolls confirm that the validity of the Old Testament. If we didn't have that, we could question, well, everybody just wrote the Old Testament during the New Testament times. No, that's not true. That they, it was significantly written. It does. It is the truth. Jesus believed in the scriptures. If you believe Jesus, the son of God, Jesus believed wholeheartedly and quoted the Bible all over the place. There's so much evidence. We have so many copies. There are over 23,000 handwritten copies of the New Testament in existence. There's just so much evidence that the Bible can be trusted. It's not just, I got to believe a book. Culture says, you just got to believe this book. But God says, no, 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 no. There's a lot of evidence that says, I just given you all the reasons why the Bible's not just a book. It has endured the test of time more than any other document in antiquity. It can be trusted. Even the scriptures itself declare its validity. For the word of God is alive and active. Hebrews 4.12. Psalm 119 says, your word is a lamp for my feet and a light to my path. The next scripture verse in 2 Timothy says this, all scripture is God-breathed. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training so that you can be equipped. James 1.22, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Isaiah 40, the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. Like there is strength in the scriptures of what, of how it can benefit your life. You can trust the scriptures outside of even the Bible saying it's awesome. And the Bible even says it's awesome. Jesus, who is the word, John 1 and John 1, 14, and became flesh to dwell among us, it says, he quoted the word, believed the word, is the authorship of the word. And in all of this became the word, became flesh. There's so much reason to say the Bible can be trusted. And now we have to live in the tension then in 2019 that looks at this moment that says where the Bible's in front of us and the Bible now is in front of us and it's saying, well, now the tension is, am I going to believe the word of God or am I going to be the word, believe the word of culture? Which do I believe now? Because if the, the Bible is really what it says it is, if the Bible is really true to what it says it is, now all of a sudden I have to make a choice. Am I going to believe in the word of God or am I going to believe in what other religions say? 
Am I going to believe in what atheism says? Am I going to believe in what Hinduism says? That there's multiple gods and multiple paths. Am I going to believe in Buddhism that says it's all about separation and getting this place of enlightenment? Am I going to believe in atheistic point of view that says there is no God? You cease to exist when you die. Am I going to believe in, a, in, you know, in an agnostic point of view that says I think there's something there, but it's not, it's not Jesus? Well, what are you going to believe? Are you going to believe in the word of God? Or are you going to believe in the word of culture, political opinions? Are you going to, you know, all these other kind of things? Are you going to believe in what culture says in regards to Pride Week? Are you going to believe in culture and what it says to Planned Parenthood? Are you going to believe in what culture is trying to say? Or what does God really say about all of these issues that affect us, right? What are you, what is, are you going to believe the word of God? Or are you going to believe with the word of your friends? There's nothing wrong with drinking at a party and I'm, and I'm 16, 17. There's nothing wrong with sex before marriage. There's nothing wrong with cheating on an exam. What, why are you getting so bent out of shape? Because God's word says those things are wrong. Now you're in the tension. Do I believe what my friends, the word of my friends, or do I believe what the word of God says? And if you're a young person, that's actually a clap from a young person in the front row. That's because it's saying, now you have to decide. Because a disciple is saying, I believe this. I really believe the word of God. And that it has the authority. The word of God is in competition with so many other words. Can it be trusted? Can you believe it? Since the beginning, it was a battle of what are you going to believe? In Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, there's the, there's the question, did God really say you must not eat from the tree in the garden? The very first words of God in Genesis says, God said, you can do anything. Adam, you've got the best life. I've made you. You can have communion and relationship with me. Just don't eat the tree in the garden. And what happens? A voice comes from the garden and says, did God really say that? The same questions. Did God really say, I can't, I can't, you know, have sex before marriage? Does God really say I shouldn't, I shouldn't go and live together with someone before marriage because it might create complications? Did God really say that it's a life versus a fetus? What, I mean, you know, what did God really say? And the same tension that was there, we can relate to it. Did God really say he made creation? Did God really say being married to one man or one woman for life is the preferred choice? You know? So who are you going to believe? There was a time in, in Ephesus. Um, so you've got the beginning. And then you've got Christ comes. He dies, gets resurrected, and says, I am the truth. John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No, he who believes in me, this is the way. We'll never die. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus says, there's only one way to the Father. John 14, 6. He literally says, there's only one way to the Father. And it's through me. Because I am the truth. Well, now all of a sudden, well, what about everybody else says their truth? What about my truth, personal truth? You got to believe your truth. Well, what's your truth versus the truth? Do you see the difference? Do you see the difference? Now, how do you handle that? How do we handle it as, as disciples of Christ? Who are you going to believe? There was um, Jesus dies and gets resurrected. And everyone starts believing this. And next thing you know, Paul is going out, planting churches all over about Jesus declaring the truth of Jesus, believing in Jesus. And as he's going out and he's going through, he goes into Ephesus, which is this awesome, Ephesus was the biggest city at the time. It, was, it had one of the seven wonders of the world in it. There were all these people. It was a very bustling city, very similar to probably a Minneapolis, St. Paul community where you've got all of this. It's, it's a well-known city. There's a lot going on. There's a lot of culture, a lot of people coming in. And Paul comes in and says, Jesus Christ is the truth. You guys are believing 
false, falseness here because one of the seven wonders of the world was the temple of, of, of Aphrodite. I think I got a picture of it. It was in the center of town. It was one of the most beautiful temples that was there. Everybody came to see this temple and they bowed down to worship this god, goddess. And they got into birth Aphrodite because she was a goddess that was of, of fertility. So a lot of moms were just like, I want to have a baby. I want to pray to the goddess of Aphrodite to make my womb fruitful. And so people would travel there. She was a god of, goddess of provision. She was a, and she was just, there was just so much that she could do. So everyone's flocking there of, to, to skip their lives better. And they were worshiping this goddess. And they're worshiping all of this heavily Greek, mytho, Greek gods that were there because the gods were the cultural truths at the time. And Paul comes in and says, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Believe in him and you'll never die. And people start getting converted. They start becoming Christians. And next thing you know, all the Barnes and Nobles that were filled with all of the books on Zeus and on Aphrodite and, and, and on all the gods that were there and all the incantations and all the mystical stuff that people were doing, they start getting saved and they start saying, you know what? I'm not going to sell. I'm going to shut down my Barnes and Noble. People were emptying out the Barnes and Nobles, dumping their, their books on on witchcraft and their books on astrology and their books on, on, on Greek mythology literally did a bonfire in the center of town and it said that millions of dollars went up in smoke. Millions of dollars did because of this moment because the truth of God was exalted. It transformed his city. And so Paul plants a church there and he plants a church there. And when he plants this church there, they realize that suddenly culture starts creeping back in again. And he says this in, um, in 2 Timothy. Paul sends Timothy, his younger protege, there to be the pastor. Paul was doing multi-site before we were. He would plant a church and put Timothy in charge and go off and plant more churches, right? So he comes, so multi-site is actually very biblical. So Timothy's in Ephesus and it says this, for a time is coming, Paul told Timothy, when people no longer listen to sound wholesome teaching, they'll follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth. Everyone say, reject the truth. And chase after myths. But you should keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at telling others the good news and carry out the ministry God has given to you. It says that people will no longer listen. It says that people follow their own desires. In other words, follow their feelings. How they feel things should be. Tell, people will tell them what they want to hear. Tell me that this is okay. Just tell me that what I'm doing is okay. Hey, I'm going to go to my best friend. Is it okay that I'm doing this particular action in my life? Yeah, you know what? You just got to do, you got to, you just got to do what you feel is right. Okay, follow their own. They're do, telling them what they want to hear. Their, their, their ears will itch. Whenever you have an itch, that's always a bad sign. That's like a rash or an infection. There's always an ingrown hair. There's always something bad if you got an itch. Am I right? a giant tarantula spider crawling on you in the middle of the night and biting you. Like, that's horrific, right? Reject the truth. They're going to turn away. They're rejecting truth. They chase after myths, stories. Chasing after myth is chasing after stories and narratives that are fake news. They start chasing after all of the false narratives that are out there at the time. So Paul tells Timothy, who are you going to believe? Who are you going to believe? You got to... Timothy says, who are you going to believe to the people? And so the people, so even Timothy knows what that's like. And so we have to change a perspective. And actually so much so that it's interesting that even the temple, the greatest seven wonders of the world, as great as it was, this is a picture of it today. 
barely standing, dead, gone. Aphrodite's nowhere to be seen, dead and gone. It's, it's another proof that the Bible's real. The temple of Aphrodite's found. But that temple and all of its greatness is now just rubble because truth stands. Jesus Christ has endured. Aphrodite didn't. Jesus Christ endures forever. Aphrodite didn't. You know what I'm saying? So we need to have a shift. We got to change a point of view. Because when we grew up in life, we were given a perspective. And here's what the scripture does. The, the scriptures change your point of view. The scriptures will change your perspective. The scriptures give you God's perspective. And it all depends on the lens of how you're going to look at life through. Will depend on the scripture that you're given. Will depend on how scriptures looks and how if you believe the scripture and if you trust the scriptures that are given to you. Depends on the lens you look through. Because in life we're given different lenses to look through. We get different point of view in life and we get to see life differently depending on what the lens we look through. You know, so let's just say this is your lens. This is the lens that you're given through. Maybe in life, you didn't, you know, you grew up, you're trying to figure out life and then suddenly you get handed a lens, a spiritual lens, okay? This is the spiritual lens, all right? This lens is the lens you look through it's the lens that says, all roads lead to God. This is the lens that you look through that says, well, it makes sense. All roads are going to lead to God. No matter what kind of faith you have, all roads lead there. You can be Buddhist. You can be anything. At the end of the day, you can choose whatever faith you want. You pick your own eternity. Have you met someone that's wearing these lenses? They fully believe it. This is a perspective that God that, that, that you have that's been given to you that God wants to challenge. And God wants to take off those lenses. And he really wants to give you clarity. He wants to give you clarity that says, oh, I see different now. All roads don't lead to God. Jesus says, I am the truth. I'm the way, I'm the life. Jesus can't, Jesus, Christianity is the only claim that says there is only, Jesus says, I am the truth. Other roads lead there. He's the one that makes that claim exclusive to him. I get it now. This is the value of scripture, right? Some of us, we've been given lenses that are the emotional lens. We live life looking through this lens. We have this perspective. Our, our view is tinted and everything now has a different tint in this lens. It's tinted through the emotional lens. This is the lens that says, I don't feel close to God. So my feelings aren't lining up with how I feel about God. So I don't think God's real. I'm going to move on to something else. This is the lens that says, you know what? Um, I just really feel that um, I'm not worth it anymore. I don't feel like I'm valuable. Nobody would care about me. I could end my life and they don't care. That's, that's this perspective. When you get become a disciple, God takes these off and that tint away and he gives you clarity that says, wait, you are valuable. Wait a second. This, emotional, this, this is the lens that says, no, wait a second, you're necessary. This is the lens that you look through scripture and it begins to say, even though I don't feel close to God, Romans 8, 31 to 37 says, nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. Nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. If I don't feel close to God, this is the truth now. I get it now. I'm not, it's not tinted and distorted and blocking out and giving me a darker view on things. 
I can see clearly. I am, I have value. I have sickness. Psalm one, this says, oh, Psalm 139. I have value now. I have purpose. God knew me before I was born. I love it. Thank you. This is what I need to see. This is my perspective shift, right? There's another lens that we've been handed in life that we have to take off, which is the relational lens. This is the lens that helps determine all of our relationships in life. This is the lens that says this. It says, you know what? I love him. And if we really love each other, we're going to move in together. And if he really loves me, then you know what? I just need to have sex with him because I just prove my love for him. This is the lens that says, I really feel like I was born this way. And I just feel like, like I want to be with that person. And so, you know what? I'm attracted to the same sex. It's the way, it's how I feel. It's, it's, this is just, I feel like I'm better with this person and I just feel better being with the same sex. And, and so, my, so we view our relationships through this lens, this relational lens. But God says, when, God, when we become a disciple, God says, no, 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 no. You need to see differently. You need to lose the darkness. You need to lose the tint. Let's get crystal clarity. Oh, wait a second. Now I know, wait a second. I realize now that's the wrong way to live. Wait, I realize now that I, I wanted to, I, why am I moving in with him? Wait a second. I, wait a second. God speaks crystal clear about homosexuality in the Bible. So what am, what's my, why am I believing? Wait a second. Tell me more. What does God say about, and next thing you know, your relationships look very different, right? Another lens we put on is the, this lens, which is the political lens. This one is a big one today, isn't it? This, the political lens that you put on looks at this, and this political lens is a big one because it looks at this, it looks and says, well, I only believe a certain way. I'm only, I'm only voting a certain way. I'm only going to be a certain kind of person. You know what? Um, it's, you know, whoever's my president, it's not my president. Um, I'm only going to, I'm only going to, I'm only going to support and honor this president. I'm not going to support and honor this president. I only support, I don't believe in supporting cops. So unless, so I'm going to do this. And next thing you know, you're seeing all the fire come in and all of a sudden God's like trying to say, wait a second. No, 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 no. You can't live there because when you put on and you look at what scripture says, scripture says that in Romans 13, it says that everyone must submit to their government authorities, no matter who's in charge, no matter what presidential person is in charge at the time, no matter what person in authority walks on the scene. This says, God says, when you submit and get under, you get blessed. When you honor, no matter who's in charge, no matter if it's blue or red, you honor that president. You honor that president. You believe in the authorities that's over you. You honor your mom and dad who's in charge. Even if they're not Christian, you honor mom and dad who's in charge because they're the authority and they're over you, right? And so that suddenly says, okay, I get it now. I understand because now it's not about my emotion and the rhetoric and the narrative and everything that's there. Um, how I feel, the fight I got with my parents, the fight, you know, my distrust of the law enforcement. Also, it's like, okay, I'm putting this on. I was being like, okay, I've got some bearings now because God says it. If God's word is true, there's another scripture or there's another places. These are the, uh, this is the lens of the media. These are my Tony Stark glasses, by the way. So that's all right. Very good. There we go. This is the media. These are my Tony Stark glasses where it's just like, oh, whatever media says, whatever the stories I read, oh, I love that love story that came on the screen. I want to follow that love story. I want my life to be like that. That's great. I'm going to follow that person's life choices. Well, how many of you guys know 
movies always give you the high, the movies always paint out this happy ending, but they don't see what happens like 10 years after the happy ending, right? It's like you, there's a whole ending that has to, that comes after the end of the movie that continues on in real life. And we start believing the narratives. We start falling in love with the stories on the screen and, and what media says or what the songs are telling us about how, you know what, whatever the song of the day is and the lyric of the day, you start listening to those lyrics and those songs are just going to say, you know, and, and so much, if you listen to a lot of the music and you're hearing, it's just like, you know, it's about following, doing what you feel is real. It's all about just following your, your, you know, your emotions. It's about coming to places say, you know what, I'm just going to throw off restraint and party. You know, like there's so much of that, but God's trying to say, you can't just follow that narrative. You can't do that. You have to be able to put on the clarity of what God says about what the narrative is and what the stories are. God, that there's good news and that there's gospel. The good news of Jesus is the story that matters most. So how does that line up? There's the intellectual lens that speaks to the intellectual side of life where it says, I need God to add up. I need science to make sense. I need God to make sense scientifically because if I can find a a loophole in science, if it doesn't make sense in my head, it's not going to happen. That's the intellectual lens we wear. Sometimes we got to say, well, why do bad things happen to good people? Because if I can't make sense of how this makes sense, well, then God's not real and I'm going to stay in this mode. But God says, wait a second, you don't know the greater you need to put these on because when you see from my perspective, through my lens of scripture, now it all comes together and you're losing that tint, that moment where things can go wrong. Lastly, there's the professional lens. The professional lens says, when you put these on, it says, that says, I'm going to go ahead and I live for my profession. I live for my career. It's about climbing the ladder. It's about the bigger house. It's about all the stuff. It's about everything that you get. It's about climbing higher, bigger, faster, more, more, more. It's about saying it's job before family. It's job before relationship. It's job. And next thing you know, you're like, wait a second, how is this all going to work? And, and next thing you know, you're looking through this lens and your family starts dissolving. You're, you, you fall out of love with your wife. Your kids start falling away because everything's looking through this lens of more success wealth, stuff. And God says, no, 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 wait a second. When you become a disciple and you look through God, you go through God's lens, you say, oh, I get it now. I get it. It's about a calling, not a building. It's about following a call, not building a career. It's about finding God. It's about, it's about going and saying, God, I don't own this stuff. It's about my finances. I get, I'm blessed of God to be a blessing, not to hoard and to keep. Oh, I get it now. The lens of scripture helps us determine conviction instead of opinion. You know, there's a lot of opinions in the world. There's a lot of opinions out there that matter. Conviction is the evidence of what you believe. Opinion is the evidence of what someone else, someone else believes. Conviction actually in its Latin word means to conquer. And so when you have a conviction, you conquer opinions. Opinions are just wispy ideas of what people think, right? Convictions are conquering steel convictions that overcome and overwhelm opinions. Opinions feel judgment, but conviction feels guidance. That's why John 16, 8 says, and when he comes, he will convict the world or give you a conviction. The first time you would have felt conviction would have been at salvation. When you felt that tug, that conviction of, I think Jesus Christ is truth. 
I really think this is the way. But everyone's opinion says, don't trust Jesus. Church is a sham. Don't trust that. I need to lean into God. And so when you look at that and you say, okay, I get it now. I'm seeing clearly for the first time. The lens of scripture helps us determine faith instead of feelings. Right? It's easy to live by feelings. It's easy to learn a time when feelings rule more than faith. But feelings, we have to align our feelings to scripture and to God versus having God aligned to our feelings. Am I right? We gotta make the change in that. Lastly, the lens of scripture helps us determine obedience over suggestion. Jesus says, man, if you, there's a lot of suggestions out, out there. There's a lot of information to suggest what you want, what you need to do and who you need to be and what you need to accomplish. But obedience is the sign that you love God. John 14 verse 15 says, if you love me, you will obey my word and keep my commandments. So what lens are you looking through? What lens are you seeing your world through? What lens are you looking at and looking in? What are you looking through? Because this makes all the difference in the world. It makes all the difference in the world.